Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. Tonight we tackle one of the all-time biggest box office bombs, whether Captain Cash likes it or not, that's just the facts. An ordinary man goes on an extraordinary journey, both on camera and off, it turns out, in the 13th Warrior. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. So welcome back, as I said, to Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeTheFans.com. I am the Thunderous Wizard, along with... Captain Cash. Lover of this movie. This is the best movie. I am so excited to be here to talk about this movie. When this podcast became a thing and we were going to talk about hops and flops, I was like, 13th Warrior, count me in for the 13th Warrior. I fucking love this movie. And uh, I don't necessarily agree, but I also don't think it is as bad as... Perhaps it was labeled when it first came out. And we'll get into all that uh, as we go on. Because this, this is another one of those films that was, you know, pretty much doomed before it ever got into theaters. So uh, it's based upon a Michael Crichton novel called Eaters of the Dead. Which they retroactively renamed yes. The 13th Warrior, which is just depressing. The story behind that is just dumbfounding. Uh, so released August 1999, as I said, one of the biggest box office bombs ever. It grossed 61 million dollars worldwide, uh, according to numbers in a few different places. I found it uh, after reshoots, and they were extensive. Ended up costing the studio 160, so all told, lost over 100 million bucks. Which I think is hilarious because you th- you hear, oh, it cost 160 million dollars, and that's like. That not even a, a low tier Marvel it's movie like costs that. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, BBS is like hold my beer. Yeah. We're gonna spend that much on marketing. Yeah, let me just drop a four spot. <laughs> uh, what did it open against though? That was the funny thing. Uh, because it opened against something that went on to become sort of monumentally successful and was very cheap, and that was the Sixth Sense. Yeah, nobody really saw that coming. What a twist. Uh, no, not at all, because, I mean, M. Night Shyamalan had written some movies, but he hadn't really done anything, uh, and that was nominated for Best Picture. So this, on the other hand, directed by one of the all-time greats, John McTiernan, Die Hard, The Predator. He's uh, making another appearance on this show, because if you recall, he did Last Action Hero, a, uh, another big-time bomb. McTiernan, I mean, honestly, put yourself in any studio situation. In 1999, you've got McTiernan versus the virtual unknown M. Night Shyamalan. This was a massive upset. This should have been a huge win for Touchstone, which was owned by Disney. Owned by Disney. That's amazing, isn't it? Putting out a hard R fantasy horror epic. I love that. If Everyone who thinks that uh, critics shill for Disney, this movie got just annihilated. (laughs) Still, 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, 88 reviews. What say you about that, 33%? That, I, I mean, this is at least as good as the lower two Thor movies. 
if I'm trying to pick a comparison and those are in the 60s, this is at least a 75 in my opinion. I think that's high, but it reminded me a lot of other movies that I know have had a lot of behind-the-scenes trouble. In particular, another one of the largest bombs in history, 47 Ronin. They're pretty similar stories, in fact. Like, you have the outsider who goes on this journey with the traditional warriors to fight mythical things. And that had all sorts of troubles as well. And it's just, you can you can see where the movie doesn't connect because of the bickering between Crichton and McTiernan. There's no yeah. real connective tissue. And I like the characters because they're actual, they're actual Norsemen. And that's one of the cool things about the movie is that they didn't just basically show cast it. He said, okay, yeah. we'll have one star and then I want all Nordic people and I want them to be big and I want them to make Banderas look small. <laughs> and they do. And one of the cooler things about Antonio Banderas is that he doesn't care like at all. He was perfectly fine with being much smaller than his co-stars, which is not the norm. Before we get too far, we should talk about uh, what we're drinking tonight. That's true. Yeah. So I, and uh, let me just do my traditional. Anyway, uh, we'll be having the Magic Hat Dropkick Murphy's Barroom Hero Pub Ale. I would have ordinarily gone with something like a Golden Drock, but this is what I had in my fridge. So cheers. What are you drinking? I uh, I went local, so I got some mead from Superstition Meadery, and this movie is pretty heavy on the superstition, and I believe they drink mead at one point. Because Oh, uh, yeah, it's a plot point. Banderas says he can taste uh, the grapes, and the guy's like, it's honey, you asshole. Or honey! <laughs> Made from honey! And that's you he's one of the best characters the in the movie. Wheat or grape. Yeah. Honey! It's made from honey! So it's all right for the Arab to drink it. Uh, ah, what a good movie! So, all right, uh, so how's your how's your mead? I'm kind of jealous. It's actually. really good. Uh, I've had it before. I had it at like a there was like a wine tasting thing, and that's where I discovered this place. But they do good work. They do good meeting. Nice. I think I got a bottle of mead somewhere. I should bust it up. You know what? I I have my brother-in-law made me some mead. It's vanilla mead. I'll have to bust that out when uh, I finish this guy. All the right. brother, you can't get you can't get that anywhere though. At least with the uh, the magic hat, you can probably find this at your local grocery store or liquor store. Yeah, we'll put links to that stuff on on the Twitter at yeah. hops and bo flops, and there's going to be a lot of stuff I'm going to link to as I often do at, after I post these episodes with sort of a thread because there's a lot of good behind the scenes videos that I found with interviews with Victor Kulak, with Banderas, with McTiernan. Who, man, I just feel so bad for that guy because really, yeah, we're like two years away from his career just in, just blowing up at this point. And this is a guy, yeah, who, you know, made a made a couple really fantastic movies that will stand the test of time forever. And then also, and one of those is Thirteenth Warrior. Yes, for yeah, definitely, yeah, that one. Um, so, best IMDb user review I found, and I think this, I think you wrote this says, I understand some people having a problem with Antonio Banderas playing an Arab. He's a Spaniard, so he looks and sounds like a Spaniard. But I think he gives a great performance here. He really makes his transformation from pampered Lothario to warrior compelling and believable. He has this yeah. great intensity that takes the action to a whole nother level. And then he you know, credits the largely unknown supporting cast, which I mentioned was awesome. He says, without a doubt, 
This is one of John McTiernan's best films. He really was on a roll in the late 90s, which makes you wonder what went wrong with Rollerball and Basic. Okay, I didn't write that, but I do co-sign it. That is exactly right. And before we get too far, we should probably talk a little bit more about just the basics of what this story is. Yep. And it's it's because it is really interesting. Um, the character Antonio Banderas plays, Ahmed Ibn Fadlan, is a real person. Yep. And part of this this story is meant to be his uh, Ahmed Ibn Fadlan's experience with the Volga Vikings, which is a historical thing you can go read. It's this guy, which I, I haven't read, so I don't know the totality of it, but it's part of how we know what we know about Viking culture to a certain extent. Yeah, so. is this guy basically wrote a diary for his time among them, which is, comprises like really the first 10 minutes of this movie. And then the rest of this movie is basically Michael Crichton's version of Beowulf, which he literally wrote on a dare. Yeah, he somebody had told him they thought Beowulf was boring and no longer appealed to a modern audience. And he said, okay, I'll just rewrite it then. And so he <laughs> did with sort of using this other adventure as inspiration. But uh, like the Wendells are essentially Grendel. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Beowulf's mom is the essentially the enchantress. Yeah, the mother of the Vendo. Um, and then you got the fire serpent, which is the fire dragon also from Grendel. Yeah. The interesting thing is that they do it sort of backwards, if you want. So in traditional Beowulf, Beowulf fights and kills Grendel, fights and kills Grendel's mother, and is killed by the, the fire dragon. Whereas in this, he fights the fire dragon, he kills Grendel's mother, and then fights and kills Grendel, but then himself is also killed. Yeah. So it's sort of a... They flipped it around for the movie. I don't remember how it goes in the novel, which, I mean, I read that 20 years ago, even before I saw this movie. I, yeah, I think I read Beowulf in ninth grade or something, so yeah, it's been a while. Um, I mean, the the beats of it are, are recognizable. It helps if you mm. know that going in, because as I said, the the plot is not the thickest in this movie. They He... The Arab gets banished for having an affair, which none of this is really seen. It's done in voiceover. And then the, the first 30 minutes are the big... Our jealous husband complained yeah, to the caliph. Are the, weakest, oh, so uh, are the weakest part of the film because it really just accelerates from like point A to point B. And then they're in this town. And then it sort of is almost like the Battle of Helm's Deep in a way. Yeah, I, I think... The way I I like this movie and I think the way it helps to treat it is it is almost an episodic format, almost kind of like The Hobbit is an episodic format where you're in a place, a thing happens, they react to the thing, and then it's the the next chapter and then how they react to whatever that challenge is and then the next chapter where it it comes across a little bit more – it's all – I mean the main character – played by Antonio Banderas, it's really his journey from becoming, you know, he was a poet and he has made a, like we said, he was a poet and he was made an ambassador. And it's him going from this courtier to this warrior and how he takes that journey with these Norse people. So from that perspective, you know, yeah, it's kind of thin on plot and it's more of a character piece in a lot of ways, but all for that, I still like it. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, 
well, I know why it's a bomb. Uh, it's it's not the this type of movie is not going to appeal to a mass audience. They don't even speak English for the first twenty minutes of the movie, so it's like you have to really be invested in what is happening to be like, oh yeah, I'm taking this journey, right? And then it switches yeah. over to English because he magically learns English very quickly. And I'm hey, willing to suspend my no, disbelief no, no. for that. That's fine. I, as someone who has had to learn another language to live in a different country, the way that they handle the language barrier in this movie is the best I have ever seen in any film ever. Um, it happens early on where, for the purposes of the film, he's called Eben because the Norseman can't can't get, gather what his whole name is because when Antonio Banderas says it, it's Ahmed Ibn Afalan, Ibn Alabaf, Ibn Rashid, Ibn something, something, something. And all they hear is Ibn repeated. So they just call him Ibn. And I'm going to do that for the sake of brevity, but Ibn just means son of. But when you first meet him, Ibn doesn't speak another language. He's just kind of there. And they have Omar fucking Sharif in this cameo role as as Melchizedek, who is his interpreter. Yeah, and when they first get there, they're trying to speak Arabic, which for our purposes is rendered as English. And no one understands them. So they try Greek. Greek doesn't work. Then they try Latin, and Latin works. And then as Antonio Banderas, I guess we should probably do a little bit more of the plot to explain sort of how this all happens. But about, what, 30 minutes into the film, there's an extended scene where Antonio Banderas is watching all the Northmen talk to one another. And you can start to hear bits of English words interspersed between I'm, I think I read it was Norwegian. They taught these actors to speak because even though, you know, a lot of these actors are from, from Norway and and Switzerland and sort of the Scandinavian area, not all of them spoke that language. Like shit. One of them is Tony Curran, the Irish guy in everything. Uh, Uh Yeah. But you can sort of, as they're speaking Norwegian, you start to hear words in English again. And then, they start speaking in complete sentences, and then when Eben goes to speak for the first time, it's very halting and sort of awkward sounding, and that's supposed to represent his ability it's kind of struggling to be able to speak a new language, and I, I absolutely love the way they handled that. Obviously, you suspend your disbelief because he learned it very quickly, but it was I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of a neat transition in how it's done. Now, when he says yeah. halting and sort of you know slow, it's more of Banderas just doing his seductive voice. <laughs> so <laughs> my mother was a pure woman yeah just a little, a little uh unnerving to, um just just slight like a half a step slower than he would normally talk yeah so uh if you're if you don't know who omar sharif is uh lawrence of arabia big one and then also dr shivago he was dr shivago he's dr shivago so and he'd been retired for uh a number of years before he took this and then unfortunately his experience on this movie <laughs> led him to uh retire again Re- retire again oh it's so sad so description from hulu now this is a really terrible one you could if you have hulu by the way this is free on hulu uh i did you should watch it anymore. you should watch it right now uh, a band of warriors are being attacked by ferocious creatures <laughs> that's that's that the really hulu is, description that's not real helpful uh, uh, my my one sentence for this would be uh, Beowulf with Antonio Banderas. Yeah, uh, mine was would a more appropriate title just have been Norse Predator? <laughs> they, I mean, 
Yeah, I can kind of see it. Because there is you like kind of feel it. when when they first get to this village that's basically been attacked, which is the Helm's Deep scenario, right? They go and the king is, yeah. you know, he doesn't have the power to fight without their help and etc. and so on. Like there's clips or there's like a, two scenes where the the Wendell are just looking through the bush, like spying on them, and then they're like, "He's out there," and they're like, "It's it's so dead on Predator." You can tell the same guy directed both movies. Yeah, no, I can see that. He's like, he's watching um, us. <laughs> you just need that predator clacky sound in the yeah. back. Uh, so I guess we've kind of talked about how he meets Norsemen. Then you, you get introduced to them, which you've seen the movie now once, right? Just one time. Yep. Okay, which is perfect. I want to play a game, and that game is called Other Than Bullvi, Name Any One of the Other 11, or I'm sorry, 12 characters. It's the 11 o- characters. The only one I know is the one that calls him Little Brother, and that's Herger. Okay. That's, that's it. So you got one. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, so, like, if, get the sense. If, yeah. if I took a quiz, like, say this was like a quiz for class, and it's like, when did this guy die? And it'd be like, which, which one was that? Was that the guy with the bow and arrow, or was that the. <laughs> no idea there. Yeah. Names. So even in the the credits, they're they're mostly described by their attitudes. So Herger is the joyous, but like so Tony Tony Curran is in this too as Weath, the musician who never fucking plays an instrument the entire time. So how I didn't recall him. I didn't recall that. Yeah, but you'll know him because he's the one deliberately Irish Viking. Which, to be fair, there were Vikings in Ireland. It makes sense. It could have been a thing. Is he the ginger one? But Yeah, well, one of the two ginger ones. He's the ginger one who says, When you die, can I give that to me, daughter? Oh, yeah, the guy that doesn't sound Nordic at all. At all. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, fine. He could be Irish. And Tony Curran is one of those character actors that if you've seen an Irish guy in anything, there's like a 50-50 shot at him. Yeah, uh, you know, on uh, the podcast, the rewatchables, they always go. They have like something that's like, oh, it's that guy, and they don't know the guy's name, but you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. That's this guy. Yeah, he was the Irish guy in Punisher. Uh, what else was he? He's he was in that um, that uh, that sci-fi show that lasted for all of two seasons. Where well, that's going to be future. pretty difficult. Isn't that like half the sci-fi shows? Yeah, that's a, that's a bad example. Isn't that going to be like, Krypton? Yeah, it was like, it's not Farscape, but it's one of the... Farscape went for a number of seasons. But it was they bet a video game based on it that you could play while you saw it. But either way, he's in that too. He's just in a ton of stuff. And this is one of, I think, of his first... One of his first credits. Another one of those guys, Arnold's buddy Sven Thorson is in a very brief cameo. He's in the camp is there just after they choose the 13. He's just kind really? of standing there. His character name is Woodby King. He's like one of the guys yeah. that could potentially be the king. But you'd never know that. But he's not king in fact. <laughs> no, he's just sitting there so. Yeah. I don't How did he not get chosen for the 13? He had to volunteer. Guys and you know what? maybe he was holding he was holding on for 13 and at that point uh, it it was determined that it had to be Antonio Banderas, which is basically how this whole movie kicks off, is someone comes and says, hey, our king needs help because we're under attack by an ancient evil. 
they have a soothsayer show up. She says, 13 men have to go. And they all volunteer, of course. Bullvi is the first to volunteer. You get 12 other, I'm sorry, 11 others. And when it comes to the 13th, uh, the soothsayer says, it can be no Northmen. And basically they <laughs> shanghai Antonio Banderas into being the 13th warrior. And he has absolutely no desire to do this. After she consults her chicken bones and rooster teeth, she yep. decides that he, one of them can't be a Northman, so he goes. Uh, by the way, he's not the star of the movie. The star's clearly whatever you call Beowulf. He's, he's the guy. Like He's the leader. The movie revolves around him. I will accept that he is the hero of the film. The protagonist, though, everything is told from Eben's perspective. He's the the main guy. They should have called this movie 12 Northmen and a Spaniard. Like three <laughs> men and a baby. Really would have got the right crowd. I feel like that's a different that's a different film that probably plays on Pornhub. I don't know if that's a great call. It could be. It could be. Yep. In any case, then they, they take the, the trip to to visit King Rothgar, which is another tip for the people who have read Beowulf, because Rothgar is the name of the, isn't that the name of the mead hall? High Hrothgar? Yeah, yeah, I believe where so. Where Bulvi goes, or Beowulf goes. And they get there, and as you said, they're, they're introduced to the idea that the Vendo, the, which I, I will tell you, as, as a kid in either ninth or 10th grade, when I read Eaters of the Dead, it, it spelled out W-E-N-D-O-L, it did not click for me that that was supposed to sound like Grendel until I saw this movie and they said Vendo. I'm like, oh shit, Grendel. Ah, I really should have. It should have been way more obvious way earlier. Um, they go to a farmstead and you can tell if you watch the behind the scenes, they kind of give this. We shot a lot of gore just to bump this up to an R <laughs> last minute. Well, here's some interesting things about that. Uh, another predator-esque scene. They walk into this like uh, this abandoned shack, and there's a guy hanging upside down. His head's missing. He's been like skinned. Uh, and so McTiernan, who took this job and had pretty grand aspirations for the movie, and that's why he wanted to cast all people who were believable in their roles, etc., and so on, was told it was going to be PG-13 and so like the addition of these like ridiculous some of the ridiculous gore really pissed him off because it felt inorganic and it just looks stupid uh, according to him but that was one of the the big fights and also just dear studio this movie was already 85 million dollars prior to the reshoots you're not gonna make a lot of money turning it into an r-rated movie and if you're too squeamish to have the title be eaters of the dead why do you want it to be rated R? Like the decision making that happened behind the scenes of this movie is like, it's just baffling to me. It was a little odd. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, we don't want the movie to be Eaters of the Dead. That's too scary. But let's have this scene where one of the Wendell rips this guy's head off. It's like, okay, yeah. well. And then let's go into a cave full of human skulls. It's like, well, this is, it's pretty clear what they do. You even reference that they're eaters of the dead in the movie. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't get it. it it's it's a weird, it, there were some weird choices made. But it, still, I still think, you know, it never, when I saw it, it never pulled me out 
to see the extra blood in the hut scene or whatever. No, and I think my my issue is right. I am twenty years removed from this coming out. I've always heard that it was a mess because of such and such reasons, and and then naturally through the course of my research, I discovered what those reasons were. It's really hard to separate yourself once you know that stuff. Uh, you know, it's just like when I watched uh, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Like, all you think about watching The Island of Dr. Moreau is all the batshit stuff that was happening on the set of that movie. So then you watch this and you go, oh, it's really clear here where they cut his stuff out because it doesn't yeah. feel connected. Uh, and then, like, the ending comes up and you're like, okay, well, he didn't do this. The ending, though, felt like the rest of the movie so really did, that didn't take me out it wasn't like a justice league scenario where it looks so watered down and sort of like, you know just crappy that you know that they tacked it on five months ago mm, true but i mean again for all that i i still think the the it kind of it, it hangs together well enough because then you get the the big the first vendo fight scene you get the they cut off one of the windows arms like Grendel gets his arm ripped off. A couple of the people die, which again, I, I think they lose two at this point, but <laughs> I couldn't tell you who it was. And you'd, then you'd be hard pressed to, to even remember what the guy looked like two seconds later. Yeah. So, and then what happens? They, then they decide, okay, well now we have to build defenses. And then there's this subplot that comes in with the King's son who thinks that Bullvi is going to try to take the kingdom. And ultimately this culminates in the, the other Norseman, Herger, who's kind of the funny one and probably Eben's best friend out of the group. Definitely. They're getting in a duel. They're besties. They they write each other, you know, Hey, they definitely Baghdad again. They definitely kept in touch when he's like, goodbye, Arab. Goodbye, Northman. (laughs) Oh, there was a, tear. a letter that's not like there was like post then probably just you know one, once a year sending christmas cards or the equivalent i know how, i know he learned how to speak their language but when the letter shows up in farsi that guy's like oh shit i can't, I can't read this who's gonna, who's gonna read this to me <laughs> they they do weirdly go out of their way to to give you the sense that maybe maybe the norsemen can't read despite the fact there are nordic runes and things like that Though uh, that does give one of the great character pieces in the film where Bullvi tests Eben to see if he can, he calls it draw sounds, but obviously meaning writing. Yep. And he does it the first time, and then he asks Eben, hey, I'm going to draw it again. You read it to me. And it, he writes, there's only one God and Muhammad is, and then Eben reaches down and corrects the writing, his prophet. It is my headcanon that Bullvide drew it incorrectly on purpose as a test to see if if even was bullshitting him or not. I mean, Bullvide's the man, so I'll I'll, I'll accept. I accept that headcanon. Yep. Okay. Anyway, I'm getting off. I'm getting off the plot. Uh, uh, so they have the engineering dispute where Herger gets into a, a battle uh, with one of the prince's buddies, and he there's this whole bit about how he's basically sandbagging the whole fight. And then immediately murders the guy. Yeah, with and like one swift swipe of the sword. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's meant to be like, okay, now now he has to wonder what whether what he sees is true or not, and then it never comes up again. Yep. 
uh, from what I understand, McTiernan's cut was 20 minutes longer, 25 minutes longer. So maybe, you know, a lot of that is sort of that more, you know, things that would re- relate back to things that had happened. Mm. That was cut. Uh, it's a sad story about this movie. It's just like, uh, you know, any any movie we've covered on here where they wind up spending all this money. These guys worked, you know, in, in incredibly difficult conditions in Canada, traveling all over the world to shoot some of this stuff. And the the studio buried it. So it sucks. Yeah. And just like the, the Fantastic Four thing we did, you could tell the people who were there, like the actors, really gave a shit and wanted to do a good job. Yeah, when I post the links to uh, the YouTube videos that, I don't know, like, I don't know who did this little behind-the-scenes thing, but they are pretty neat. There's five of them, and they, they kind of overlap and repeat, but Vladimir Kulik, Bullvie, he, like, the, you know, he was under the impression this was going to be his big break, and a lot of these guys were. And he thought mm-hmm. uh, the guy who played Herger... Because he's probably the most charismatic guy in the movie, aside from Banderas, who uh, he's been better in other things. He's sort of he's fine in this, but he's not like he's not coming off the screen by any means. Mm. And, and Herger does have the most fun. Like he's sort of the goofball. He gets the big duel scene. He pals around with Eben. Yeah. Uh, I think that Bolvi has sort of a stoic presence. And you'd follow that guy into hell, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. When he comes yeah, out keep... and he's been poisoned and he's like, no, I'm going to fight. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm fighting with this guy for sure. Yeah. So I guess backing up to how we get to that poison part, they have the big battle against the fireworm where they ultimately, which is revealed to be cavalry, and it's at this point, Eben realizes, oh, the Vendor are just people with this extended, it's a man, it's a man, it's a man thing. And at that point, Eben decides he's going to fight for real, which is kind of, it's interesting because the, the Vendo, at least in the novel, are implied, if not outright said to be just leftover Neanderthals. And you can't, you get a somewhat of a sense of that in the movie, but it's never really spoken out loud because why would anyone in the movie know what Neanderthals are? So it's kind of, you have to implied based on how they act. Uh, And the idea is these people are bear people. So they go looking for them. Yes, exactly. They, they find them in a cave and after consulting a separate soothsayer, they learn they have to kill the mother of the Vendo or Grendel's mother and their leader who wears the horns of power. Um, they go into the cave, which is this kind of stealth mission to, to go murder, <laughs> like you said, the Enchantress. She, uh, it, dead on the costumes, like 100% the same, aside from the snake. Which, to be fair, was 20 years prior to the Enchantress. Every costume in this movie is better than Suicide Squad. Fact. That's not, that's not hard, yeah. That's, that's not hard. <laughs> Suicide Squad won the Oscar for costumes. <laughs> Uh, Oscar winner Suicide Squad. Oh God, I can't even say it. I can't. Yeah. Uh, ugh, ugh, that hurts yeah, it me. just doesn't feel right. Anyway, they get in there. They do manage to kill the the, the mother of the Vendo, but not before Bullvi gets scratched by what is obviously some kind of poisoned thing. 
Uh, and then they have their final stand, which you just alluded to, where it's nobody thinks they're going to make it out alive. Yeah, they this is the final push. Um, and then Bullvie comes out, no armor, just his sword, stands on the ramparts and starts the the prayer, which if nothing else of this movie continues to exist in popular culture, the prayer of lo there, do I see my father? Lo there, do I see my mother and my sisters and my brothers? Lo there, do I see the line of my people stretched back to the beginning? They, they do call to me to take my place in Valhalla, where the brave may live forever. And they all start this chant. And this is a thing that's been repeated a couple times throughout the film, so that you get a, a sense of it. And when they do it, then the, the music is swelling and playing. You're like, fuck yes! This is awesome. Everything about sort of this last stand and them, well, they know they, they've slayed the mother and the Wendell are essentially, they, they rule by fear. So yeah. when that sort of mystique is gone, uh, they, they come to the understanding that all they have to do is kill the leader, right? Yeah. Like break their spirit, you know, cause their spirit can't be broken cause yeah. they're, they're tough as hell. And, you know, they're not going to go down just until awesome. the last man can't lift a sword. So that scene is pretty awesome. I think, you know, I think the movie picks up steam as it goes on. Where it lacks is that is the beginning that's very rushed, and just losing those character moments. And in these interviews, which I'll post at Hops and Bo Flops in the thread, even Victor Kulak uh, sort of talks about how like you know there's 13 of us. And you don't get to really know ten of them. And he's like, oh yeah, and easily. I, and I told the directors, you know, I told McTiernan, like, hey, you have all these scenes with us just on a ship. Why don't you walk around from like and like from like pairing to pairing maybe, and just get a sense of who these people are? Because as you said, like the one guy's a musician. He never plays music in the whole movie. Yeah. We don't know if they have families. Like, there's no backstory to them ex- except for Banderas. And to a lesser extent, I guess Bolvai, you just know that he's the guy who's been primed to lead when the other king falls. You know, like he's the guy. It's sort yeah. of almost Dothraki in a way. Like when this guy can't ride his horse anymore, this guy's going to be the king. Yeah. And I think that would have made the movie really phenomenal if you, if you oh, just sure. punched it up with some of that stuff. Well, I mean, it's funny to think about, but The Hobbit, which came out, what, 15 years after this movie? Uh-huh. Yeah, 2014. Has, yeah, the exact same... I don't know, something I think here. 12. Yeah. Yeah, either way, has the exact same thing. There are 13, 14 technically, going on a, a mission. But even there, you kind of get to know every single one of the dwarves. Here, you, you really don't get that at all to the point where... You know, you could name literally two, I guess three of the thirteen. So ten of them are guy. everybody else. Yeah, yeah. guy Which with I think is really black hair, guy with yeah. shorter hair, older guy with bow and arrow. Yeah, older giant guy who's played by a guy. What's it's like somebody Bjornson or something there, or as Bjorn Reese is this giant dude who's a former. I guess Norwegian wrestler or whatever, and was like a Hulk Hogan impersonator. And that's why this film reminds me of uh, Forty Seven Ronin so much because, well, I haven't seen Forty Seven Ronin since I bought it 
like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but like you leave that movie only knowing the leader, really, and Keanu Reeves, who's the half breed. Like that's what you get out of that movie because there's no character development whatsoever. Same thing with Suicide mm-hmm. Squad or any movie that's plagued with people tussling over how it should be edited and what should be in it and what should not. Like in Suicide Squad, you get to know uh, Will Smith, Deadshot. You don't get a sense for the Joker, which is fine because he's the Joker. Uh, you definitely don't get a real sense for Rick Flag, other than he fell for some girl and she turned into a witch. You get no mm-hmm. sense for her. You know, it's just if you're plenty gonna have, of Harley, though. You know, like if you're gonna have a movie with lots of characters, you have to dedicate a lot of the script and the time to those characters like James Gunn does a really wonderful job with it in Guardians right you know who those characters are it's not an easy thing to do especially when there's more of them but then you just Mm -hmm. focus on say five and then you know the other guys are essentially red shirts and they'll die but these are the five and then when one of those five dies it it really punches you in the gut yeah so and I well so I guess to wrap it up they'd managed to kill Bullvi kills the the leader with the horns um, himself then succumbs to the poison. He dies on the ramparts in this very, like, just badass, throws the sword into the ramparts. Puts the sword in the ground and just is, yeah. like, sitting there, like, just the king that he is. Yeah. And it did kind of wraps up, like we had said, where Eben says goodbye to, to Herger, and you see him starting to write the... Uh, yeah, the history, the history of, of his time with the Northmen, which becomes supposedly the Eaters of the Dead, or yeah. or Eben's accounts with the Volga Vikings. Um, and I think the there's a one of the major themes that runs through the the film is being able to tell a story, and you know, being part of a story is what makes you live forever. And I think they did a really good job of that. Um, yeah, he's like, just point, write my story. Yeah, you know, I'm like, well, that's an easy one. So to write. I thought that was, yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um, I will say though, kind of going back to the uh, the other thirteen, uh, for the longest time, I could only name one of them as like, oh, the ninja guy. <laughs> and there's <laughs> who's who's Eggtho, played by Daniel Southern. Like that's the I, other than Herger and and Bullvi, he was the only other one where I'd be like, oh yeah, that one and the Irish one. Yep. Uh, you might recognize uh, but, Victor Kulak from. He was on, I guess, on Vikings for a bit. I did peruse his IMDb, and he's worked steadily, but uh, he was never really a leading man again. Yeah, which is a shame because he kills it in this. He's uh, pretty good. Fun fact, I liked though. Him. Did you notice the person who went on to become a Game of Thrones alumnus? Did I notice? No. Yeah. I don't think so. The Blackfish is in this. Brendan the Blackfish is in this? Brendan the Blackfish. Who was he? Tully. Uh, He was Hefdane the Fat. Oh, see? So he's the the guy who... He actually gets a decent number of lines, and he's the one that decides to stay... Uh, when they're trying to escape the cave and have to swim under oh, he's the, essentially, the water. Yeah. He's got nothing was, left. He's been stabbed. Yeah, It was a good day. That's 
Brendan the Blackfish Tully. Damn it. I can't believe I missed that. All right. So when we come back, uh, we'll do Am I Full of Shit or Not? I have a feeling you're going to know all these. And we did cover yes, some of them uh, already. But uh, you guys, uh, listeners, you'll learn something uh, about how screwed up behind the scenes this was. So we'll be right back. So am I full of shit or not? I have a feeling you're getting all of them. All right, we know Let's that. Do this. Uh, so this, we won't do a true or false here because you know that the film required reshoots. You know they were done by Michael Crichton, the author, not a director, mm. the author of the book. Uh, also the author of Jurassic Park. So he you keep in score at home. Yep. Uh, and a Congo, which has been often talked about, uh, perhaps appearing on this show because the fake gorilla suits in that movie are just magnificent and must be seen to be believed. Listen, if you want to make June Crichton month, we can definitely do that. Westworld, not the not the series, the sh- the movie from the sixties yeah. with Yul Brenner. Uh, Sphere, uh, not a good one. Yeah, and Drama Strain. Yeah, what else did he do? I mean. Technically, uh, Jurassic Park three, I guess. I don't, know. I don't think he was well, actually involved. Lost with that. World was his book, and that movie's awful. So I that hate movie that. might be awful, but it absolutely did not bomb. That movie made a shitload of money. No, it did not bomb, and it's it's better than the uh, Jurassic World sequel. So, Oof. oh, I hated that bad. I really did not like that movie. I apologize, anyway. listeners, if you enjoyed that. It's bad. Uh, so, all right. are, are you full of shit or not? Let's right. do this. So uh, Crichton took over after a poor test screening. Now this, according to Vladimir Kulak, during reshoots he'd be shooting one ending with Crichton and one ending with McTiernan on the same lot. And he'd go from one room to another room shooting each ending. And I guess Crichton told him, Vladimir, it doesn't matter what you're doing over there because I have final cut. So poor McTiernan working away on this movie. And Michael Crichton's got final cut, so it doesn't matter what he does. Ugh. Uh, no, that's that's absolutely true, and that is depressing. So you'll see in the interview I post, like he says, um, you know, like he was he became friendly with Michael Crichton, but everything that they they were acting like little kids, like they fought over everything. As soon as they didn't agree on one thing, it was like they they couldn't be in a room together, and it just killed the movie. Oof. So as we this said, is sad uh, and it hurts me to listen to. Yeah, Michael Crichton felt Eaters of the Dead, his own book title, mm. was too scary for the film, so they changed it. True or false? I, true. True. Yeah, very obviously. Uh, Crichton told Kulak that he was watering his grass, and his neighbor told him the title was too scary, and he's like, "Oh, you're right. I think I'll change it." That is fucked up and true. <laughs> oh. So I won't do this one because, as you know, there was no premiere for this movie. They just buried the thing. The outcome of the film's production disappointed Omar Sharif, Melchizedek, the translator, so much he temporarily temporarily retired from acting. Very true. Yeah, he did not take another role uh, until 2003. Monsieur Ibrahim. He said, and I quote, After my small role in The 13th Warrior, I said to myself, let us stop this nonsense, these meal tickets that we do because it pays well. I thought, unless I find a stupendous film that I love and that makes me want to leave home to do, I will stop. Bad pictures are very humiliating. I was really sick. It is terrifying to have to do the dialogue from bad scripts. 
It's a face of director who does not know what he is doing in a, in a film so bad that it is not even worth exploring. Seems harsh. Yeah, so what happened to that guy on set? It's so harsh. <laughs> I mean, he's in that movie for the first 10 or 15 minutes, if that. <laughs> he really hit this movie hard. You'd Ugh, think he had to, he had to know, be on man. the 10-month shoot with everybody else. I don't know. Uh, that's rough. Yeah, I mean, he is basically at the camp, and that's, that's it. That's it. That's his role. All right, so Crichton's book was written after he witnessed a pygmy cannibalistic ritual while, a, on, a, while on a journey through the Congo Basin. True or false? Uh, that, is, that is absolutely not true. It's false, yeah. He wrote this book literally as a dare after attending a, uh, a, I think it was a conference on literary bores, and someone said that Beowulf was the most boring thing ever. And he said, oh, yeah, well, I bet I can make it interesting. Here we have Eaters of the Dead. Yep, so outside of the Beowulf inspirations, much of what is in Crichton's novel is based upon historical fact or record. True or false? Oh, yeah, true, yeah. False. To the point, really, well, I know he said that... Some of it, he, yeah. He, yeah, he did such a good job of fabricating sources that when, well, I mean, Michael Crichton passed away a number of years ago, so I guess when he would go back and read it, he had trouble remembering what he had fabricated and what he had researched. So this is actually, I think, I mean, this is his brilliance at work. So Eaters of the Dead uh, has become one of the most notorious hoaxes in library librarianship circles because the Ahmad Tusi manuscript, which the bibliography in the book, The Eaters of the Dead, has a bibliography because it is supposed to be a historical mm. record. And it says it's a source. It's completely made up, but people have tried to find it. The name of the translator, Frau de Luz, is two Latin words meaning both hoax and fraud. <laughs> and since the novel was published in 1976, the University of Oslo, where this manuscript is supposedly kept, has gotten calls and letters of inquiry to ask about it. And they have to respond telling people it doesn't exist. That's amazing. I mean, that's just a testament to how well written this I is, mean, though, to a certain extent, isn't it? This guy was a prolific writer and... I think that's one of the more genius things I've heard, like to put in that sort of time to create, you know, sort of this fictitious history about it. Uh, he did in Ibn Fadlan's actual journey to Russia. Uh, he took like the first three chapters. That would have been those early scenes. Yeah. Experiences with the Northmen in AD 1922. Which was, I mean, that's the Viking era. That's uh, what, like a hundred years before... The events of the Viking show on history, or uh, what is it, The Last Kingdom, which is a show if you're not watching, you should also watch, because that show's fucking great, too. So, Crichton also cites the fictitious Necronomicon of Abdul Al-Harzad <laughs> in the novel's bibliography. Listen, there's nothing wrong with quoting some Sam Raimi Evil Dead. That's a, that's a respectable choice. Crichton was stronger for it. Uh, in accordance with the book, John McTiernan's version of Wendell's mother was an old woman played by actress Susan Willis. When Crichton took over and did the reshoots, he decided that brutally killing off an old lady did not reflect well on the heroes. So he decided to make her younger, sleeker, and tougher. This is true. In the final release, Wendell's mother is played by Kristen Cloak. But the final credits still list Susan Willis as Wendell's mother. Oh, that's rough. So, yep, true. Uh, and that's the, the scene when uh, Kulak's talking about filming two separate endings entirely on the same set. 
And they're both uh, telling him, like, hey, you, you can't talk about what we're doing over here. That's what they're talking about. Now, the big issue with this is the statues that the Wendell carry around are a large, grotesque woman. So it doesn't match the woman they then find as the mother at all. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you read the book, they, they do talk about how, I mean, and the statues that they find is kind of your standard fertility statue that you'd see the swollen breast, the swollen belly, yeah. you know, no head or arms. And in the book, they do explicitly call out, yes, and it's supposed to be this. I, I kind of get where Crichton's coming from on that, where if they'd have just found this old fat lady and the heroes just kind of show up and go, eh, and kill her. That's kind of a bummer. I mean, I guess, I, you know, I'd have to see what kind of creature design was come up for it. Because yeah, the skinny one looks pretty cool. Uh, the Enchantress. I thought they did a neat job with her. And her whole layer is it's pretty awesome. There's like severed heads, like in, tangled in vines and skulls. and Yeah. It's, you know, like I wouldn't walk in there. Well, if I was following that guy, I would. But... If you're if you're following Bullvide, yeah. you need at least consider. If it. I had to follow one of the other guys who I couldn't remember their name, forget it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Herger, I'd be like, Herger, come on, let's just let's just go drink some meat. That'll be way better. Now uh, I feel like Herger'd be like, you know what? You're right. It would be way better. Let's go do that. Kulik did say that he agreed with. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this guy's name right. I feel terrible, but no idea. Uh, Kulich. He did. Uh, mm. He did say that this was the one area he really agreed with Michael on was in the look mm. of the the mother uh, you know of course we'll never know because uh, McTiernan's cut has never been released probably hashtag release the McTiernan yeah, cut get that started let's you know let's get off this Snyder cut stuff because WDB's not even coming to Comic Con to avoid a, the crazy Snyder fans <laughs> thanks a lot guys <laughs> I was looking forward to some uh. announcements and yet Game of Thrones is definitely showing up to do a victory lap. And I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, guys. Release the Maybe. petition cut. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a great plan for you. I, like I'm, I'm not saying you should reshoot the, the eighth season. I am saying I dislike the eighth, eighth season. I am saying. Uh, and maybe. Give it some time. Let people yeah, cool yeah, off. Like a, give it a year. Yeah. Just Let the wounds heal. Seems premature. Yeah, a little bit. Wasn't that great, you guys? No. Hey, so who wants to talk about how awesome this ended? Nope. <laughs> oh my god, that's going to be a tire fire at the level of like the Diablo mobile release. Is this is this an ill-timed April Fool's yeah. joke? What was it? Uh, was it like four or five years ago? We went. We were all dressed up in Game of Thrones stuff, and we ran into those other cosplayers. And the one was Lady Stoneheart, and part of her list was Weiss and Benioff. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. You know, so Game of Thrones fans have had a lot of time to simmer on their distaste for your <laughs> omissions and uh, oversights. I don't think oh, this one's going away. Head this year. Oof. Anyway, all right. Last two. <laughs> One of the Viking ships used in the movie is now in the Nor- in the Norwegian Pavilion in the Epcot Center at Walt Disney World, where it is used as a playground for kids. Bullshit. I know enough about. Epcot, but that ain't the case. I love hanging out in Sweden or in Norway. This says true. What? Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> That's what it said. That's what I found. Oh my god. I thought you'd have been on that thing like multiple times. Like you've kicked kids off I, so you could play on it. I have been to Epcot, Norway at least twice in the last year and change. 
Well, now you know. I, you should be drinking mead the atop thing, this ship. I have drank mead in Norway repeatedly. I feel I, like you're a I'm failure trying to think at this where point. It could be. I, I, I do too. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe, uh, the maybe but... it's not like a permanent installation. I don't know. Like they have like a. I'm trying to remember if they have a ship. They have like a stage that looks a little shippy. Maybe that's it. Eh, anyway. Wow. And our last uh, true or false, Dennis Storhoy, who plays Sturger, nearly drowned while filming the underwater escape, which was filmed in a I tank. Know somebody did, but I don't know that it was Herger. So I'll say true. It was true. And guess who saved him? Oh man, Banderas saved him. Banderas saved him. So yeah, they dude. realized Dennis was not coming up. They thought he was on the other side. The crew said he's not over here. Banderas dived in, <clears throat> pulled this guy to safety. Oh my god, man! No wonder they're such they have such good chemistry. Yeah, dude, save my life! I I feel like I'd be way friendlier to so him. So this guy nearly dies in this water tank, getting stuck under the exchange. Uh, when they pulled him out, Banderas says he was like gray, like in shock. Guy couldn't film for three days. Yeah, if I almost died by drowning on a fucking movie set, I'd be like, guys, I'm gonna Yeah. I'm gonna take a long weekend. Just not coming in on Monday. I'm just gonna You know, that's but that goes to your point of how uh, unrecognizable the thirteen were they forgot one of them was missing. Oh, oh god. <laughs> there was only like five at oh. this point. They still forgot. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That is really depressing. Uh this is still a great movie, and everybody should watch it. Okay, so when we come back, we got the most egregious use of someone famous to avoid properly casting a role. Sorry, Antonio Banderas, but you are neither Muslim nor Arab. So we, we'll be right back. So we're back on uh, Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeTheFans.com. We are discussing the 13th Warrior, and we are doing the most egregious use of someone famous to avoid properly casting a role. Now, in full disclosure, we talked about this earlier, Captain Cash and I, and we both agree that this was not as egregious as many other examples of this. And this list by no means covers everything. And for the record, I didn't go into the 60s uh, or 50s or even the 70s because they whitewashed Asian people and they did some really actually just unbelievable john wayne played fucking genghis khan yes this is nowhere near that bad dr no lots of asian whitewashing and dr no al jolson so i didn't cover any of that which is just blatantly racist and the less said about it the better yeah yeah um and i didn't include uh soul man because he was in blackface in that movie that obviously would have been the most egregious example (laughs) (laughs) all right so number one all right, Keanu Reeves is Kai in Forty Seven Ronin. I said this ranks fairly low. This is why it's the number one because Reeves has got a very mixed heritage, uh, none of which is Japanese, uh, and Kai was also made specifically. He's Asian, though, right? He's got Chinese ancestry, so yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and Kai was they cast uh, Rain to be the ninja warrior, and he's Korean. Yeah. I think that that's cricket. Kai was made specifically for the film because they wanted to draw in. A more broad audience so that's why that one ranks low mm. now we go to johnny depp as tonto 
We're up a we're up a oh, level. Oh, that's a in the Lone yeah, Ranger. That's way way higher up there. So, uh, in keeping with the racism of the 1930s, uh, Disney decided to w- keep whitewashing Tonto uh, because keep whitewashing Tonto. Fuck that! Tonto was played by Johnny Silverheels in the original series. He was played. They went back further. The original Tonto was actually a native actor. Oh, oh so they did worse. So they cast him for no they, other. They did worse. They cast him for no other reason than he was Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Yes, exactly. They're put him in a silly hat, and this will make some money. Uh, now, number three, oh. we keep getting worse. Jake Gyllenhaal is the Prince of Persia. Yes, Persia. Okay, yeah, that 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 might be worse. The Prince of Persia, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal, also starring Toby Keppel. <laughs> Who's the other brother? Is the other brother at least <laughs> somewhere around that area? I never saw it when I checked out when they're like the Prince of Persia, Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm and good. the princess I'm is good. Gemma Arterton, and she's British. <laughs> she's just like, come on, nobody. Uh, this one's really bad. Emma Stone as Allison in in Aloha. Oh yeah. This is just a, a textbook example of egregious casting. A Japanese Hawaiian played by Emma Stone. Emma Stone. And number five. Ugh. Number five is uh, the best because it's it's a twofer. It's two for one special. Christian Bale and Joel Edgerton as Ramses the Second and Moses <laughs> in the Exodus Gods and Kings. Oh man. By the way, these are recent this, movies. This isn't like this has been twenty years ago. Uh, uh, a terribly recent reminder that Hollywood is still super racist, everybody. Yeah. So, Ugh. so I would rank him somewhere around Keanu Reeves, probably around the the, the, yeah. the one to two. He's not as bad. He's not as bad as Jake Gyllenhaal's The Prince of Persia. Oof. I will say at least, uh, you know, this movie was shot in 1999, so we're two years off of 9/11. But you know. I, Name another film that has a lead actor, lead character that is Muslim. Yeah, and even like he, he prays he is explicitly. To... Yeah, he is explicitly a devout Muslim. The only thing I could think of was uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with Azim. Yeah, played by Morgan Freeman, and then later played by uh, who played uh, who played him in Men in Tights. <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. A chew. A sneeze. Yeah. Uh, wait, a chew, right? So not so honorable mentions. Yes. Fisher Stevens as Ben Jabatuya in Short Circuit. They. Mm. You've never seen Short Circuit? They put him in brown face. I've seen Short Circuit. Oh, my God. That guy wasn't actually Indian. Nope. And then in the sequel, they realized how egregious that was, and they changed his last name to make it less, like, foreign-sounding. So... <laughs> Yeah. Holy shit, this whole time I had no idea Johnny Five no. was that racist. Fisher Stevens is the bad guy in Hackers. That's Fisher Stevens. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe is the Hispano Roman general Maximus Decimus Meridius in Gladiator. Now, I, yeah. it's only an honorable mention because like- it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that's that first one rates a little bit higher than an honorable mention, or it, 
I feel like, if anything, you need to call it dishonorable mention. Oh, yeah. It's not so honorable mentions, my bad. Yes. Yeah, the... F- dishonorable mentions. The Fisher Stevens one Dishonor. is bad. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Dishonor on your racist stereotyping casting. Hollywood. And, and Russell Crowe as a Hispano-Roman general is just much less egregious because it's... There's not a single... I don't think anybody in the whole movie is Italian, so... Yeah, and I mean, Gaelic could cover a lot of different things. Uh, and then, of course, Marvel. What were you thinking? Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One in Doctor Strange. Ah, uh, see... There's tasteful ways I, to I have stand... done it. But go ahead, offer your counterpoint. My, my thought on that is that was a no-win scenario. Because if you cast an old Asian guy, you're playing into old Asian guy tropes. True. You cast an old Asian lady, you're playing into dragon lady tropes. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that Tilda Swinton was the the perfect choice there, but uh, think about this: I got Ken Watanabe, right? He's fake Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, He's a perfect actor. He's great in everything. Everything. I don't know. It's that that still feels too. That still feels too tropey for me. That's one of those things where I, I don't. Listen, you don't. don't you don't have to make the guy. Right you don't have to make the guy Pai Mei from Kill Bill Two, right? Where it's obviously a throwback yeah. to seventies, sixties, seventies, you know, Chinese martial arts cinema, which would not fly yeah. today at all. Mm. Um, just there's ways to do it, but that's our list, and it's really hard this to believe is- some of these movies came out in the last 10 years oh my god truly impressive this has been your walk down cringy hollywood casting choices that are super racist just remember when you think about hollywood most of the executives are idiots and they got their jobs (laughs) because they know people and when they ruin some of your favorite movies don't be surprised one of my favorite (laughs) examples john peters who only got his position of power because he was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser, and then he wanted to put a giant spider in a Superman movie. That motherfucker loves giant spiders. And first of all, Thanagarian snare beast. Yeah. So just remember, and he got his giant spider. Wild Wild West. Oh, my God. All right. All right, so we will take a quick break. We'll come back. uh, We'll do some recommendations. Should we do Six Degrees? I can only really do Banderas, so... Yeah, you're kind of... Well, you could do something with Tony Curran. Yeah. Or, I mean, the the uh, the, the storied Omar Sharif. Yeah. I don't know. I, we'll, we'll try Six Degrees. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be very successful. Okay. We'll do... Uh, and we'll do recommendations. So, right back in just a moment. We're back on Hops and Box Ops. Flops this is our final segment. We will offer some quick recommendations right after uh, Captain Cash challenges me to a six degrees. So who do you got? Who do I have to connect who to? Oh, so in keeping with the Viking theme or the, the Beowulf theme, okay. I need you to get me from Antonio Banderas playing Ibn Fadlan over to... Oh, let me see here. Who, who is the guy? Ray Winston, 
who played Beowulf in the animated film from like 2005. Okay. So Ray Winstone to Banderas. All right. Yes. I think I can do that. Uh, All right. Yeah, I'm done. So Ray Winstone goes to uh, Harrison Ford in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Harrison Ford right. goes to Banderas in Expendables 3. Shit. That was way easier than I thought it would yeah. be. Well done, sir. So, all right, recommendations. Uh, Moving right along. Again, I've, uh, I'm going to start trying to get to the movies, I promise. Because uh, next week, we are, Captain Cash and I will be tackling the bomb. And it pains me to say it, because I think a lot of the episode will not only be dedicated to X-Men Dark Phoenix itself, but to the legacy of Fox's X-Men series, which... I have many fond memories of. It gave me, I think, one of my top five. I can safely say is Logan. It gave me my favorite actor in any comic book role ever, which was Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, mm. who I love dearly, and I'm going to see perform live in his one-man show, and I can't wait. <laughs> just, just him singing show tune. I just, I cannot wait. That's that's truly going to be amazing. You should. Tell him to sing Oklahoma. I am really excited. I think he does basically songs from everything he's been in. So Greatest Showman, <laughs> uh, Les Mis, I'm sure, uh, Oklahoma, uh, the, the, boy, the Man from Oz or The Boy from Oz, whatever that one's called. Yeah. So I'm really excited. The guy is just a five-tool talent, and I love him dearly. <laughs> Hugh, if you're listening. Triple threat. Sing, act, and dance. So that's, uh, that's next week. So I'm going to see Dark Phoenix this weekend. I'm bummed. I'm bummed it went out on a low note, but I'm I'm open to, you know, I'm not going to go in there with I can't any believe. preconceived notions. I can't believe you let me talk. You let me be talked into voting for this, and now I have to go see that fucking movie. Oh, it's going to be awful. I would much rather see John Wick three. Truth be told, but I want to see Godzilla. I I've heard. I keep. I got to get to Godzilla before it's too late because now I'm having like friends of mine. Tell me it's terrible. And I'm like, you just don't understand Godzilla movies. They're supposed to be terrible. <laughs> I grew up on them. I, I, I saw the uh, the meme where it's got Tyrion from uh, from Infinity War. This Godzilla movie has, has a lot of monster fights in it. Yes, that's what a, a good Godzilla movie means. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah I don't care. I want to see full, fully rendered awesome special effects mothra rodan king Ghidorah. i want to see it i don't care about the humans i never did in any godzilla movie i want to see monster fights can i then just recommend uh pacific rim because that is still also a great film pacific rim is a giant dumpster of my son's dirty diapers and old shoes that's what i think of pacific rim i hate that pacific rim is such a good movie you're wrong yeah all right. Anyway, hey, recommendation. You know what? You know it's a stupid way to drive a robot to have people do things in tandem because it would never work. You know it's a stupid way to fight giant monsters at all. Build a giant robot. I don't fucking care. Remember when? It's awesome. In Pacific Rim. Remember when the giant robot picked up a a ship and used it like a baseball bat? Because I do, and it was awesome. Remember when he did that? But then fifteen minutes later, they reveal that all the giant robots have sword arms, and you're like, where the hell was that? 
Why did you just, yeah, just the one? Why did you use rocket punch for the first forty-five minutes of this movie when you had a sword? Just the gypsy danger. Oh, oh I hate God, that movie. It's such a good show. Anyway, I can't go back what in the do you recommend then? <laughs> I hate that movie. Uh, so I've, I started the Deadwood rewatch, and I gotta tell you, oh, oh my nice. God, what a show! It's such a good show. If you've never watched Deadwood. Don't watch the movie yet. If you never watched Deadwood, don't start there. You gotta go back and watch Deadwood. It is a brilliant show, and you're right. It is it is a uh, prestige television. It's incredibly well acted yeah. by many actors oh, so who, good. you know, uh, Brad Dorif, for example, voice of Chucky. He's phenomenal on this show. Uh, Grima Wormtongue. Crema Wormtongue. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I forget the actress's name who plays Calamity Jane top-notch performance robin wright no no that's not it um top-notch performance she was the sister in lost that had cancer i forget whose sister she was uh not helpful carrie ann moss moss's girlfriend in uh the first season of jessica that helps that's much better than i don't remember whose sister but she had cancer uh she's unbelievable in that show uh I mean, obviously... Robin Weigert. Robin Weigert. Uh, Oliphant. There we go. Very underplayed, great performance. The guy who plays Saul, top to bottom. Oh, the late, great Powers Booth. Ian fucking McShane. Ian McShane. I mean, you got to watch it. If you've never seen it, you got to watch it. That's what I've been dedicated to. Solid recommendation. Um, I, I will say, in keeping with the theme of the 13th Warrior... If you enjoyed this film at all, you should watch The Last Kingdom. It's on Netflix. Uh, it is set roughly 100 or 50 or, you know, around this time. It follows uh, a, a guy who's part Viking, which they call Dane, and part Saxon, who are the native English, English people, and he kind of navigates which one is he. Uh, as he helps to defend or is manipulated into defending uh, Wessex, the last kingdom of England, England. And it is really, it's, I think it's got three seasons right now on Netflix and it is just a great show. I can't recommend that enough. I feel like I should watch this. You should watch that. It, uh, if you even remotely liked this, this movie, you will love last kingdom. That's, it is a strong, hard recommend. I do love uh, movies like this. Historical battle, you know, yeah. just hard-hitting movies. Uh, so, yeah, I'll check that out. And I find uh, medieval warfare or historical warfare just infinitely more interesting than I do uh, movies where it's just a lot of uh, like gunplay. Like John Wick gunplay I love because it's one guy sort of going on a tear. I don't find... Mm. Uh, Modern war terrifies me, but two men yep. like in the in a battlefield with swords, I find that incredibly interesting. So I don't. Fair know. enough. So all right, well, uh, check those out, uh, and stay tuned. Dark Phoenix. I promise we're not we're not here to heap any more dirt on Dark Phoenix and Fox's grave because what's left to be said. Uh, it's. It I'm absolutely going to do that uh, next week. I the thunderous wizard wizard does not speak for me on this. I'm gonna shit all over this movie. You know, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm, I'll, I'm gonna try to go into it with an open mind, but I hated the idea of this thing from conception. Here's my trouble. 
I think X-Men Apocalypse in, let's say, the modern era, the last five years, uh, it's probably the worst comic book movie I've seen outside of Suicide Squad. But since I didn't expect much from Suicide Squad, I have a real issue with how bad Apocalypse was. Considering Days of Future Past, pretty damn good. Apocalypse is a dumpster fire. There's nothing redeeming about it. Uh, it's a mess. It's meandering. It's it's a terrible movie. I, I've never watched it again. I probably never will. The Blue Meanie, terrible villain. And it does <laughs> nothing interesting with this incredible cast of diverse comic book characters. And it's like, it's just a shameful, it's a shameful movie. Also, you know, then we found out Brian Singer's a weirdo. I have no love for that yeah. movie. And weirdo, I guess, is sort of underplaying it. The guy's a piece I of think, garbage. I think you mean massive, yeah. massive creep pedophile. Yeah, the guy should uh. be in prison. Uh, I hated Apocalypse. Yeah. That was one of those movies where, as I sat there watching it, I couldn't believe that's what was happening. But there's a lot uh. of behind-the-scenes stuff with that one. Like, he stopped showing up to work. You know, Kinberg had to take over large sections of the shoot. Just wacky stuff, man. Ugh. Also, Jennifer Lawrence. That, man. I've never liked her as Mystique. I, <laughs> I've never liked her. So now, listen, First Class is a legitimately good oh, movie. So good, and, so good. And J Law does a good job in it. It's a. It's only you know by the time you got to Apocalypse, where J Law went from relative unknown yeah. to leader of the Hunger Games franchise, and. She was nominated twice for an Oscar won. and won once she or something won, yeah. like that. She, uh, yeah. Nominated twice, won once. I mean, she was like a yeah. legit thing and really probably didn't want to be part of that anymore. But it's like at that point, yeah. you know, you can get out of your contract. You know you can. If you if you have enough pull to say I'm only wearing the makeup for 30% of the movie, you can get out of the contract. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I, you, you kept using her, Fox. Ugh. Anyway, All sorry, right, I'll stop so. doing that. We'll get to it. 13th Warrior. I can't, great movie. Yeah. Should have never bombed. Everybody should see it. It's on Hulu. You can rent it on YouTube. If you are uh, less scrupulous about where you get your uh, your media, it is available multiple places. Not that I would recommend that. Um, this movie... Always make sure you're paying for your art. Needs money. <laughs> it, it really... I'm not saying we're getting it out I of want, that hole yet, but we can get a little bit closer. <laughs> Three dollars I, I want time. a 20th anniversary... 20th anniversary DVD. That's what I'm looking for. Well, I remember at the time, like, for a lot of the research I was doing, it was like, this movie wasn't even available on Blu-ray. This is, like, up to a couple years ago. Like, It's had a rough go of it. Yeah. Go, go watch this movie, everybody. It's a good movie. Tank so hard they removed the boat from Epcot. Terrible. <laughs> Capsized. <laughs> there's, not even, there's not even a mention of it. If I had known it was the 13th Warrior boat, I'd have, like... I'd, I'd have photos of me riding on top of it. it uh, to me, that's a selling sad. point. Hey, we got this yeah, book exactly. this movie you've never seen. Like, All right, I'm on. Let's do this. I, I do think it's funny that the Walt Disney Company looked at it and, and went, oh, fuck, we're not making our money back on this thing. How can we repo- repurpose it? Uh, I guess we got Norway and Epcot. We could take some of the props and just throw it up over there. How many of those, you know what? How many of those bear helmets you got left? We could put those on the Matterhorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh it's sad alright so next week uh, Dark Phoenix it's gonna be an experience it's gonna be something I do want we will do uh, 
uh, the highs for us of the X-Men Fox series, the lows, which could be Dark Phoenix, and our hopes for uh, the characters in the MCU and maybe storylines. So won't be all doom and gloom if we don't like it. Just a lot. We'll try to add on a high Captain note. Captain Cash. Just a lot yeah. of doom and gloom from Captain Cash. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to do what I did with Game of Thrones, which is complain all the time. He has a stronger connection to the X Men than I do. I just love Wolverine yeah. a lot. So, I, I like doing these shows a lot better when I can root for a movie like I rooted for this movie. It's go go see the Thirteenth Warrior, everybody. It's a great film. Yeah, rent it. I think I think it's worthy of a rent. I'd I'd say if you're drinking a beer, enjoy about three, four maybe. It'll help you ignore some of the leaner moments that you wish probably had a little more development, but... You can do this movie on no drinks at all. This is a great movie if you like this kind of thing. If you don't, like two beers. Two beers max. If you're into Viking history, and really there hasn't been a lot of good Viking movies, and some I've tried to watch have been uh, simply unwatchable, yeah, this this does the trick. It'll get you. There you go. You know? It's no, uh, It'll get you there. What was right. that movie with Mads Mikkelsen, Valhalla? Oh, for a second there, I thought you were going to do uh, King Arthur. Oh, no. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Oh, with Clive Owen yeah. and Mad Mikkelsen, to be fair. I don't All remember right. who he was in that. So. We're dragging on. All right. We'll see you next week.